0: Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Sam and I'm Caitlin. This week was recommended to us by Grant and so thanks for this and also I feel I haven't done recommendations in a while so stay tuned for 2024 or should I say this year Um, but this is the case of Helen Bailey.
1: everyone happy new
0: year yeah crazy we've had a great 2023 podcast wise <laughs> maybe not life no yeah, point, my life <laughs> was all right yeah it was it wasn't the worst um but yeah so happy new year we hope you all had a great time celebrating or even just chilling not working. what was really
1: nice is we had messages of people missing us
0: yeah that was lovely that was cute It was Q. also
1: like why it's us but it was yeah nice. do you it miss was our really voice? good that was yeah. really nice um Jaws want to know a scary fact no okay
0: <laughs> no yeah I do yes
1: to. so this would be our like five like there'll be five years in time that the crime pod has been about because it's in 2020 2021 2223 2024 would that not make it four years but five 2020, different 2022, years.
0: 2022,
1: 2024, but it was also in 2020. I'm not saying it's our anniversary, it's coming up for our four year anniversary, but we have been in people's oh. lives for five like five different years 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023, 2024. That's, That's five. Mm. Oh, crazy. Oh, I don't
0: like it. Yeah, I know. Oh, great. Well, thanks for sticking Here's with us. Here's the
1: next along.
0: five. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, great. So, i'll just well no i won't begin because i'm gonna ask you caitlin i oh, thank have you, you heard of this one before um, I, haven't, I haven't i haven't no have I? it's ringing
1: a weird bell you know what she was famous ish so <laughs> i'd will... like to think so you're not just telling us about random no not just yeah, murder down the street sorry that was it yeah no no <laughs> no no the papers. <laughs>
0: But um, no, it's a really interesting one, and I hadn't okay. heard of it before. So thank you for the recommendation because it's it's crazy, and I'm also surprised we haven't heard of it. So I will just begin. Helen Bailey. She was a 51 year old author, and she was born on the 22nd of August 1964 in Northumberland in England. From a very young age, Helen loved to write, which she did in school, but. She didn't really write stories. She more kind of did diary entries and she would write when she'd get home just about her day and things. It was kind of sad stuff that she would put in her diary because she didn't really have many friends and the other kids would kind of pick on her and they wouldn't really involve her in games. So, you know, the usual kind of arsehole kid sort of thing to do. Now, eventually, Helen would grow up and go on to study physiology at a London university, and her dream was to become a forensic scientist. Although, when she started getting into that and studying it, she kind of realised it wasn't for her, and so instead, she decided to get a career in the media, and she got a job in licensing and marketing with children's cartoon characters, and she worked with the likes of the Rugrats and garfield and nintendo characters which i, I think is really loved cool
1: I the rugrats oh
0: that was me.
1: amazing that was so good i loved the rugrats so so good
0: yeah and rugrats go wild oh that was the best movie ever
1: had it on no you know the one that they the go to paris <gasps> yeah oh no or is that That's the one that they go take. to Land?
0: um that was paris i think yeah rugrats so go good. wild is like when they're lost you know, in the Wilds with the wild
1: yeah. Like a crossover. Oh, 10 out of 10. Just, if you have no idea what the progress is, doesn't matter how old you are, watch them. Oh, yeah. It's so good. Now, in 1996,
0: when Helen was still working for this company, they ended up needing a secretary and they needed someone already in the company to fill that role temporarily. And so Helen decided to apply for it and she became a secretary for a while. Because of this, it meant that she was speaking to new people in the firm, even though it was still the same company as before, but these were people that she hadn't really crossed paths with with in her old job. One of these people ended up being a man named John Sinfield, who would eventually become her husband. The two of them moved in together in London and John really admired Helen. He practically worshipped her and he thought she was so talented, creative, imaginative and he saw so much potential in her and he would encourage her to write stories as, like I mentioned at the beginning, she loved writing. Helen hadn't really written much before meeting John as she never really found the time and she didn't really have much confidence in her work. Because of John's encouragement, Helen began writing and between the years of 2008 and 2010, she published five very popular books in a series called The Crazy World of Electra Brown. Now, these were popular children's books, probably most likely for girls. So you might have read them, Caitlin. I don't think I have because I was
1: obsessed with Jacqueline Wilson. But I, <laughs> I explained so much about you. Um, <laughs> I haven't, I don't think. Um, it might be one of those if I like saw it I'd be like oh that's the book but yeah I, it doesn't ring a bell. Yes, yeah, some of the covers
0: give them a google guys uh, the covers do ring a bell for me too. Now Helen was nominated for a load of awards for these books and all in all Helen wrote 22 different books for these different series and this became her new career. Helen was a great author and she was really talented which in turn allowed her to make a lot of money doing what she loved. This is all sounding great in her life you know it's really on a high but this unfortunately came crashing down a peg in 2011. Helen was on holiday in Barbados with her husband John and at this point they had been together for 22 years and they were married for 15 of those and they really brought out the best in each other one day whilst still in Barbados they went to the beach and John decided that he was going to go out into the ocean and Helen said that you know she'd meet him out there in a bit she's just going to stay on the beach for a while after a while Helen did whatever she was doing on the beach and then she decided right I'm going to go back into the ocean and I'll meet John as she was approaching the sea she saw John out there struggling and flailing his arms and bobbing up and down and so she alerted the lifeguards and they went out to get him. But unfortunately, they were too late and John sadly drowned to death in front of his wife, Helen. Oh, after Oh, that's awful. It's so tragic. You never think I'm going to go on holiday and this is going to happen to me or anyone. So after this, Helen had to go out about the rest of this romantic getaway trip to Barbados that they had planned together. Alone. John's body was still over there and she obviously needed to do loads of paperwork and sort everything out while she was there. Now, I can't even imagine how traumatic this all is. Now, Helen really struggled with this loss, like, who wouldn't? And in a way to deal with this grief, she decided to start a blog, as that's what she did best, writing. So she started up this blog where she would write about her own experiences and other people could come and read that and, you know, talk about their experiences. And this blog was called Planet Grief. Alongside this blog, Helen also wrote a book about her experiences with grief and other people's experiences. And this book was named When Bad Things Happen in
1: Good Bikinis. What, an, much, sorry, sorry. what an interesting name of a book. It's good, but wild.
0: Yeah, I'd I'd say it's a title that really kind of draws you to it because you're like, what was that even about? So, yeah. Now, seven months after the passing of her husband, John, Helen was still regularly updating the Planet Grief blog and new people were finding it every single day. It was a very successful blog and one of these people that found Helen's blog was a man around her age with two adult sons who had also recently lost his wife and his name was Ian Stewart. Helen and Ian began talking about their own experiences and helping each other out and then they started talking in general just about you know their day and then they started meeting up with each other going for coffee and then they started falling for each other eventually the two of them decided to move in together but Ian didn't really want to live in London because he much preferred the countryside and so the two of them moved to Royston in Hertfordshire and there the two of them lived with Ian's two adult sons And Helen's dog Boris which was actually once her and John's dog. Before long Helen and Ian got engaged and everything seemed to be falling back into place for Helen after such a traumatic year. She was finally starting to be happy again, she had a family, a nice home and work was going really well. Helen was friends with all of the neighbours and she was very liked by all of them so she was in a good community. Now let's jump forward to the 15th of April 2016, when police received a telephone call from Ian saying that his partner has been missing since Monday. He said that they have a cottage together but she's just not there and that her phone is dead and goes straight to the answer machine. The police asked if someone had been to the cottage and Ian said that her brother had been and that she's taken her dog with her. Ian then went on to tell the police that Helen was very anxious and worried about a lot of things and that she's a natural worrier. He said that he had talked about, she had talked about wanting space as things hadn't been going well for her recently. Ian said that Helen had been missing for almost a week at this point, which would normally be a long time to wait to report someone is missing. But Helen had supposedly left a note at the house saying that she was going away for a while and she didn't want to be pestered or contacted. Helen had multiple different properties all over the UK, one being in Broadstairs in Kent, which she loved. She just loved being there. And in this note, she said that she was going there for a while to focus on a new book. So no one was to call, no one was to come and visit, just so that she could focus. And so people didn't. After a couple of days, though, Helen's brother started to get a little bit worried because she never did things like this. Like... You hear of authors and and other creative people like going off for months on end and, you know, not wanting to talk to a soul. But this just wasn't Helen. Yes, sometimes she would distance herself a little bit, but she'd still keep in contact with her friends and family to let them know she was safe. She would never go ahead and ignore everyone for days at a time. And so he began ringing and calling her. As he wasn't getting a single text back or any kind of acknowledgement at all, Helen's brother got in contact with Ian just to double check that she is working on a book and this is why she's ignoring him. He also wanted to double check she was okay, which Ian said all was fine. She left a note saying that she's going to stay in Broadstairs for a while and that, yeah, I'm sure she's fine. Helen's brother wasn't fully satisfied with that explanation and so he decided to go to the house in Kent and he knocked on the door but it was all locked up. There was no car in the driveway, there was no dog barking, there was absolutely no sign that Helen had been there at all and so he went back home and told Ian that she wasn't there and Ian reported her as missing. The police conducted a search but there were no leads at all. There was no activity on her emails, her cards or her phone there was nothing for them to follow at all apart from this note but obviously she wasn't at the house she said she was going to be at so where was she 11 days after helen was last seen police decided to go and talk to her fiance ian just to make sure there wasn't anything going on in her life that meant she would want to go missing or perhaps you know she was possibly suicidal or maybe something was just going on the police needed to check every possible outcome but ian couldn't really think of anything that might have been different about her life. At one point he said she wasn't particularly stressed, she wasn't particularly sad. The day that she went missing, it was just a normal day. It didn't seem as though Helen was preparing to run away before her disappearance, so it didn't seem as though it was off her own back that she was missing. She didn't. She hadn't got out a large sum of money to run away with, or she hadn't made any plans to get a flight or different accommodation anywhere. She hadn't set up a new bank account, a new phone number, nothing like that. Days turned into weeks and then they turned into months without Helen and all of her family and friends were regularly interviewed just in case circumstances changed or in case they remembered anything. The police were searching areas as well as her house that she shared with Ian and his sons and they searched their surrounding woods and fields and local homes. The police were even asking people that lived in the same area as Helen just to double check their garages and sheds in case she was in there. Around the 6 week mark after Helen went missing, Ian was visibly not doing well at all and he wasn't looking after himself. His overall hygiene was quite poor and his beard and hair were overgrown and he just seemed exhausted. People described him as seeming very lost and empty. He was spaced out and he wasn't all there, but he was very grateful for everyone's attempts to find Helen as he was always hugging people and thanking them for their searches. He would always go and talk to the police and the local people that would put out posters, although he wouldn't really join in these things himself because he was so exhausted. Meanwhile, in the police investigation, they were trying really hard to track Helen's phone, although this was going to be very hard, because it was switched off, and so obviously it wasn't really giving out any signals, and it wasn't connecting to any phone towers, and so the police decided to go down the route and check her Wi-Fi, just in case her laptop and phone had connected. The police found something on the 16th of April, just five days after Helen went missing, as her mobile phone actually automatically connected to the Wi-Fi at her Kent place that she said she was going to be in. So now the police were thinking that maybe she's been there the whole time, maybe just when her brother went to check the house, she was out. And so they went back to the property and they searched, although there was no sign that she'd ever been there. And so they thought, well, maybe her phone just connected when she was driving past the house, because, you know, if you're automatically connected to something, it's going to go on. Now, this reignited the investigation. Now, police believed that Helen was out there and so every appeal was made. But this time, from the angle that she'd run away and the public was warned that maybe she'd be using a fake name or fake ID because she doesn't want to be found or didn't seem to want to be found. Hotel and b staff, service station staff, they were all told to keep an eye out for her because she might be travelling and on the go. A lot of posters were put out around Brighton as well and different things were put on the local news because Helen was known to frequently go there and so they thought maybe she'd run away to Brighton and maybe she was staying there and didn't want to be found. Meanwhile, police were continuing to look through her bank records and they ended up finding a huge lead. Helen had her personal bank account set up so that every month £400 would go out of it and go into a different account. And ever since Helen disappeared, that amount had changed to £4,000. Now, this other account that the £4,000 was now going into every month was her and Ian's joint account. Police also found a transaction that had happened since Helen went missing in her personal bank account to renew an Arsenal football club season ticket, which wasn't in Helen's name. It was in Ian's name and so obviously police found all of this bank activity very suspicious and so they wanted to go and speak to Ian about it. The police went straight to his house as soon as they found it but Ian wasn't there so the police spoke to all of his friends and family and his neighbours and not many of them really knew where he was apart from just a couple of them that said he'd gone on holiday alone during the search for his missing wife. However, this wasn't just a last minute getaway because obviously he did seem very exhausted and lost and empty. He seemed like he
1: needed a break. But this I was gonna one. say, like sorry to interrupt. That no. could be suspicious. But actually I was like depending, like, do you know, if he's been out days and nights, like looking for his wife, and actually it's one of those of like he's gonna break if he doesn't go.
0: Yes. But the thing is he's not been out searching for Helen. He's just right. been looking a mess. And <laughs> no offence to him like but (laughs) um it wasn't a last minute like he didn't just think right okay i need to relax and you know sort myself out yeah this was one that he had booked to go away for a weekend sorry it wasn't a weekend it was a two-week holiday that'd been booked for months in advance for him and helen for the two of them to go but instead of like cancelling it he went anyway
1: yeah, but instead in of phoning middle of the, the holiday company and saying, hiya, look, unfortunately, my partner's gone missing. I'm not going to be able to come on this holiday. He's just thought, well, might as well go. Yeah, that's done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you could
0: understand, you know, she had died of natural causes and they had come to an agreement or whatever. Yeah, no, no, do you know, if she was on missing. her deathbed
1: being like, do you know, please, if if I die of this illness that I've got, please, can you still go on the holiday or whatever? But uh, yeah, no, even if it was like, do you know what? Helen would have really wanted me to go so I'm going to go for like a day or so just to get away clear my head but nah two weeks to take the piss. Yeah now at
0: this point suspicion was just building and it didn't seem like normal behaviour like we just said for when your wife goes missing so the police decided to change this investigation to a murder inquiry. Now on the 11th of July 2016 Ian returned from his two-week holiday and police went straight to him, not only to inform him of the switch to a murder inquiry, but also to arrest him on suspicion of the murder of his own wife.
1: They had no body.
0: Yeah, they had no body. They had no proof she'd been murdered. They had no proof she was even dead at this point. But they felt this was just far too suspicious for it not to be promising. Now that this was no longer a missing person search and it was a murder inquiry, police had to go back and interview everyone all over again because they asked different kinds of questions, you know, as they would. Now once again, they spoke to Helen's next door neighbour who was quite an elderly woman and she said she actually remembers something from the morning that Helen went missing that she hadn't told the police before. She said that around 11am that morning, she was sat doing her taxis and things like that at the kitchen table, when she heard a lot of banging, like a door slamming, but a very heavy door slamming, coming from Helen's house. And she turned. She heard this multiple times, and so she got up and decided to go to the window, see what it was all about, but as soon as she did this, the noise stopped, and it never happened again. And so she just carried on. She didn't think much of
1: it, you know. She and she just off. forgot to mention it. Well, she was oh, a nice missing person. You know, this is one of my hates, man. No, I know, but I disagree with you every time.
0: I'm that oh,
1: woman. On the oh. No, I'm sorry. If you
0: hear a bang, you're not going to call the police on your
1: neighbours. You're going. You be that are nippy... that woman is just sitting there, yeah. Like, can't hear what's happening. You're going to be that nippy neighbour though that just calls the. the pin drops and people are like excuse me
0: caitlin i'm trying to live my life i'm making a cup of tea here
1: (laughs) i'm that person that's in the facebook group at my local area being like everyone know what that noise was yeah standing out
0: curtain twitching and i'm just like
1: yeah you're um, oblivious
0: yeah uh, call the police two types of people it's all good we're all different (laughs) anyway like me this lady thought she just had a noisy neighbor now, the police also re-interviewed Ian and he gave them a full rundown of everything he did that day. Just before 3pm, Ian left the house to go to a doctor's appointment, although this wasn't his original appointment time. He was actually booked in earlier in the morning that day. However, he called them up that morning and said that he was having car troubles and he wouldn't be able to make that appointment. So could they give him one a bit later? And so they gave him one at 3pm. Which What doctor able- does he go to? Well, I was going to say, to be able to do that nowadays would be bloody brilliant. They'd if I like, had phone
1: my doctor went, sorry, I can't make my appointment, they like, yeah, we've got another one in five months. Yeah, over the telephone. Pigeon
0: post. But no, this is 2016. <laughs> Times were good. <laughs> now, of course, the GP that Ian saw that day was interviewed as well. And this GP said that he didn't really notice much out of the ordinary about Ian, but he did seem a little bit distant. After his doctor's appointment, Ian went to his local tip to go and drop off some rubbish when he discarded a double duvet. And then he got back into his car and he went to Helen's solicitor's office to go and discuss this property that Helen had up in Newcastle. And the solicitor was again interviewed and they said that he seemed quite aggressive. He was wanting to push through the sale of this property in Newcastle. But of course, the solicitor said that they couldn't do that without Helen because everything was in her name and he said that Helen was ill and that she just really wanted to get it done and so he had to do it for her. But of course they wouldn't do that because it's against like every single regulation and rule and law possible so they never did that. Ian then goes back home and Helen's not there and that is when he finds the note. Now I'm not sure what he does for the rest of the day at home but then at 9 p.m he decided to go back out again and park his car in town and go and meet one of his sons. This meeting, though, was out of the blue. It wasn't actually planned because his son didn't know that his dad was going to turn up that day. Ian knew that he played bowls at the same place and time every week, and so he just went down to go and watch his son play for an hour, and then he took him out for a train. Creating a wee alibi. Mm Mm-hmm. So it was all very spontaneous. It was then two days after Helen went missing that people started to notice she was missing. Of course, Ian knew this whole time, but Helen's brother started getting in contact. And that was when Ian told him about this note that she was in Kent. Now, we know Helen's brother went to Kent to check and he couldn't find anything or like any existence of her being there. And so while he was in Kent, he decided to go and speak to her neighbours and different shopkeepers, you know, people that knew Helen. And he was just asking, you know, have you seen her? Has she been there? Has she been walking the dog? Anything at all? None of her neighbours had heard any noise from this house and they had no idea that she'd actually been there. They didn't think she'd been there at all. So even after that, Ian waited two more days to report her missing, making it the total four days, as she wasn't at the place where she said she was going to be. But everyone just kept texting and calling her and hoping that she would pick up in that time. Because she didn't respond to anything, Ian eventually, after four days, did report her as missing, which I mentioned earlier on. Now, as part of this investigation, police then decided to go back to that phone call and listen over it. And in this phone call, obviously, Ian was asked a lot of questions about Helen's description, just general information about her, information that you would know about your partner that you'd been with for five years. However, Ian struggled to answer these questions. He was asked her date of birth, which he couldn't guess. Her height, which he said she had told him, but he'd guessed 5 foot 10. Her hair colour and style, which he said was on the shoulder and is black going grey. He was asked her eye colour and he said, Oh my God, how'd you forget these things? Ian, what also- the fuck? Yeah, he has- he's delusional. Um, He also told the police on the phone about this note that Helen had left, saying that she was going to Kent, Kent, although he said he'd misplaced it and he didn't have access to it, so he couldn't read it. All he could do was summarise it. No one's ever seen this note, so no one knows if this note was ever actually in existence. All he could ever do was give people the general gist of the note. Ian just said that he threw it away because he didn't think it was that big of a deal. He thought his wife was in Kent, which I can understand, you know, my gran will leave my granddaughter because she gets up at the crack of dawn and being like, away to the shops, kiss, kiss. Yeah, he'll probably just Yeah, finish.
1: different to being like, but yeah. away to Kent. Yeah, it's crazy. He's this I think i like, why go to Kent and you've not... Yeah, I just feel like as well, this whole just up and going to Kent, like, why was this never discussed?
0: Yeah. Or at least she'd give her a call and be like, Do you yeah. want to talk about it?
1: Yeah. yeah. Do that I mean just this whole like all right, in Kent, that's that then. Go meet my <laughs> son for a Chinese. Exactly. Now so.
0: he personally decided not to join in with any of the searches, like I said earlier to you, or do any public appeals or anything like that, even though that could obviously help bring his wife back. But no one really thought too much of it because he seemed exhausted and in a really bad way at the time. So everyone thought, you know, that's fair enough. He's going through a lot right now. However, looking back on it, the police were starting to think that maybe he did all that on purpose so that he didn't say the wrong things. But he told police that he did do some searching on his own. He just wasn't part of the official searches. Four days after she went missing, he decided to go and check the home in Kent himself because all the other people had done it, but he didn't trust other people. He wanted to do it himself and it was on that day when Ian went to the house in Kent that the Wi-Fi had connected to Helen's phone automatically, meaning that Ian more than likely had Helen's phone with him. Now that Helen was presumed dead due to this, now being a murder inquiry, Her will was pulled up to see where all of her different items and possessions were going. And immediately, police found a clear motive as to why Ian would want to get rid of Helen. Because every single thing, every single penny, every property that Helen had owned, would have gone to Ian on her death. Now, Helen was a very wealthy woman. We're talking millions of pounds, and about four million. And so, Ian had a lot to gain from her death. So, Helen, she's now been missing for three months. She's presumed dead and the missing person has now turned into a murder inquiry with Ian being arrested and he's the main suspect. No one else. Ian's not saying anything at all. He's not acting overly heartbroken either or helpful or even defensive. He didn't say that, you know, like I didn't kill my wife and he wasn't pleading anything like that. He wasn't saying that he loves her. He wouldn't do such a thing. He's just staying quiet. And probably so as to not incriminate himself. Now, the UK, the UK sorry, law is that police can only hold people in custody for 96 hours, which is four days, which I didn't know because I thought it was like 24 hours. Anyway, so they have four days to question him. And if at the end of the four days, if they couldn't get him to confess or find enough evidence to say that he did it, they would have to let him go. So the officers were talking about potential ways they could find evidence against Ian. And one of them recalled him acting very strangely when they arrested him. And so they decided to go back to the body cam footage that police wear when they arrest someone so that everything's recorded. And when they went back to the footage, they saw that Ian just kept talking about the garage doors and the fact that they were open. Why is it this his main focus when he's being arrested for his wife's murder? Is he questioning who opened the garage doors? Because he didn't want police to think it was actually him who had opened the garage. Is there something in the garage that he's wanting to hide? So police at this point had been searching the grounds, the whole house, the garden, everywhere for two full days. And this was a huge house as Helen had a lot of land. So it was taking them a while. But the police had forensics in and they also had sniffer dogs. But it was going to take a while to search everywhere thoroughly. During this time, one of the officers began speaking to an extra neighbour who happened to be the same elderly woman that had heard all the banging and she was asking them what they were using all this equipment for. You know, it's very loud. It's keeping her awake at night as they were using this equipment up until midnight and she couldn't sleep. So she just wanted to know what they were actually doing. The officer explained that they were draining a water tank on the property and there was nothing they could do about the noise because they needed to drain it because something could come from it. So she was very understanding. She even told them to check this other water tank that they might not have known about as it was a cesspit that was kept underneath the garage and the officers didn't know that was there because Ian hadn't told them that it existed. And as soon as they heard that there was a cesspit in the garage, it was an immediate red flag because Ian had been so on edge about the garage. He hadn't told them it was there and so they knew they had to search it. So the police opened this garage and as soon as they did, they saw a jeep parked in there and they asked Ian to move it out so that they can search it. When he did... The car, When he moved the car, sorry, it had been parked over the top of a manhole cover this whole time. And so the police took this manhole cover off and there was a cesspit underneath. And so the police immediately began searching in the cesspit underneath the garage. And within just two hours of searching, Helen Bailey's body was recovered. But not only that, also the body of her dog Boris was found. Helen's body was sent off for an autopsy so that her cause of death could be identified and it was found out to be suffocation. The worst part about that ruling is that they couldn't actually determine how she was suffocated. So it could have been at the hands of her husband and then she could have been thrown in the cesspit or she could have been thrown in there alive and suffocated in there. Also, just a quick note for those that don't know what a cesspit is, it's like a whole for sewage because not every kind of property connects to the sewage pipes and works so it gets emptied like now and again and it's kind of just like what comes out your toilet and stuff. With regards to Boris they don't know whether he was also thrown in alive or if Ian killed him before he threw him in as well. Helen's autopsy also revealed that she'd been drugged at the time of her murder with sleeping pills although these specific sleeping pills have to actually be prescribed to you by a doctor you know you can't just buy them over the counter and Helen wasn't actually prescribed these sleeping pills she'd definitely been drugged someone had given her them and of course that person that was prescribed these drugs from a GP was Ian Stewart her husband Now before all of this, when Helen was just a missing person, and before her body was found, police had looked at her internet search history to see if they could find any clues as to where she could be. And they found at the time she'd googled, Why do I feel tired all the time? And obviously at the time they didn't think much about that Google search because you know it wasn't going to tell them where she was or why she was missing. But now looking at her autopsy, they found that Ian had actually been drugging her with these sleeping pills for months before her death. So now that Helen's body had been found, and she definitely was murdered, police could charge Ian Stewart with her death and he initially pleaded in his first court appearance not guilty. So the proper trial was set for January 2017 and during this trial it actually came out that when Helen and Ian first bought this house together Helen invited her brother round and she was showing him round and she pointed out the cesspit in the garage and she said that would be a good place to hide a body which, you know, is just a normal dark human, dark human, sorry, dark humour comment that she just dropped. However, she also said that in front of Ian. So it's like he's taken that and kept that piece of information thinking, hmm, I might just do that, which he did. So then as part of his trial, Ian decided to take the stand himself to his own defence, which is never a good idea. Like, a lot of lawyers warn against it. It's also just common sense that in murder trials, especially when you look this guilty, but he decided to go up there and tell a story that he had never told anyone before. Not police, not his family, not his friends. Ian said that right from the start, from the 11th of April 2016, when Helen went missing, he knew that she'd been kidnapped. Herner dog Boris had been kidnapped by two men named Nick and Joe. He said he knew this the whole time, but he never went to police because he was scared that if he did, Helen would be in danger. And these two men, Nick and Joe, wanted £500,000 from him, like a ransom. And then they would give Helen back. And so Ian said that he went about trying to find that money, that's why you went to the solicitors and tried to push through the sale of the flat and that's why you put all this money from Helen's account into their joint account. He then went on to say that he'd spoke to Helen 4 days later on the 15th of April so she was definitely alive then. And Nick and Joe were keeping her alive. He said that he spoke to her on the phone, on one of the men's phones. But everyone in this court hearing could just tell that this was such a lie that Ian had made up. Pretty much on the spot because he wasn't able to answer any certain questions about Nick and Joe. And so the prosecution decided to present him with two men that they believed he had fabricated this whole story based on. A real person called Nick and a real Joe from his life that Ian actually knew one of them was a school friend and the other one was a neighbour and the prosecution presented him with these two men and said are these the two men that kidnapped your wife Ian admitted that he knew Nick and that he knew that Joel but he had been presented and um, that had been presented to him in court sorry but he said that these were actually kidnappers but they were a different Nick and Joel so it wasn't them After a while, the prosecution was just sick of hearing this because it's so ridiculous and they had so much evidence against him. They called his version of events absurd and they found Ian guilty of the murder of Helen Bailey in February 2017. Ian was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 35 years. So at the very least, he'll be about 90 years old by the time he even gets his first parole hearing. Now, I'm not finished. You would think I am but no. In August 2018 Ian was actually re-arrested. Now he's in prison serving his time but he was still re-arrested whilst in there because the police were looking into the death of his first wife. As we know he met Helen because his first wife passed away and she was called Diane. She actually died of complications with her epilepsy or that's what they believed up until this point. However, with Ian's second wife murdered, they went on to question Diane's death, as it was very sudden and very unexpected and strange. Diane had always had problems with her epilepsy, but had never been so bad to the point where it could have killed her. But everyone didn't think too much of it at the time because she had epilepsy, and it was a pl- it was plausible that she could have just died from one of those complications. Now, after his first wife's death, Ian did receive a payout of £30,000 from her life insurance and almost £100,000 from her bank accounts and other assets. And so the same motive comes up again. All of Ian's former friends said that he was always very tight with money and he was always obsessed with money and making more and saving more. So the motive of killing for money makes sense. Diane was killed on the 25th of June 2010 in her own back garden. In his evidence at the Crown Court, Ian Stewart claimed on the day of Diane's death that he'd driven to the supermarket just to get French bread and patty to celebrate after their son's driving test, but returned home when he realised he'd forgotten his wallet. He said he saw Diane crumpled on the floor and gave her CPR. He then told a 999 operator, "'My wife had a fit. She's in the garden.' He told the operator his wife had epilepsy, but Diane had not suffered a fit since 1992. Mr Justice Bryan said, knowing, as we do, that you had killed your wife, it is harrowing to listen to that 999 call, which I am sure was a charade from start to finish. Diane was already dead and you had murdered her. The judge said that Ian had, in all probability, killed his wife by a method that incapacitated her before she had any chance to fight back. Most likely, either a chokehold rendering her unconscious or a plastic bag placed over the head from behind. Now, Diane's body had been cremated on the instruction of Ian. However, her brain had been donated to science and so evidence from her brain was used to convict Ian of her murder. In February 2022, Ian Stewart was found guilty of murdering Diane Stewart at their home in cambridgeshire mr justice Bryan sentenced ian stewart to a whole life order meaning he will never
1: be released from prison and that's a crazy story that's mental isn't it mm-hmm. like i think he gave himself away the whole holiday and they're not helping but i didn't expect it to be that of a death Do you know what i mean like when you hear people that murder their family and stuff that sounds like quite a brutal way yeah. Give himself away as well, wouldn't idiot Yeah, exactly. So he
0: deserves to just be in prison forever.
1: Yep, absolutely.